a commercial opportunity. They're an underserved market, both female founders and women with a little bit of financial capacity and some some relevant expertise as investors. Nobody was actually addressing what they might need in the marketplace. Hi, I'm Beldit Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'm very pleased to welcome Sarah Turner, CEO of Angel Academy, the UK's most active and longest established female-focused network of angel investors. Sarah describes the problem she wanted to fix, why she chose a business as her platform for doing something with a big philanthropic element, how they contributed to changing the conversation around gender in tech startups and startup funding, and what her long-term ambition is. Join me for this informative and practical episode. So, Sarah, welcome to uh, The Purposeful Strategist. Thank you very much for having me. (laughs) You're the Chief Executive Officer of Angel Academy. I wonder if you could tell us a bit about yourself and about what Angel Academy does. So, yes, I'm Sarah Turner. I founded Angel Academy back in 2014. We're a network of angel investors, but we're different from most angel investors. Our target is to mobilize more women as angel investors and deploy our funds into female-founded technology startups. So very gender-driven in our approach. So you've been around for a while, sort of however you measure it, how big has it grown to be? Our business is still small. Angel Academy Limited is still a small business. The ambition was never to grow that, but the network has grown immensely. Mm -hmm. We're now about 100 members. These are people who are investing with us at any one time. We've invested in 45 female-founded tech startups. So we have a considerable range of investments. The objective is to help not just with money, but with introductions where we can help and help those businesses scale and uh, achieve a return for the founders and the investors as well. Sure. So you just articulated something that sounded like the organization's purpose, but is that what it is, this sort of mobilizing women angels and investing in women-led businesses? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I started doing a bit of angel investing myself 10 years ago. I rarely met another woman in the room. And if they were, they were a lawyer there to advise or organizing the event. They weren't writing the checks. So these are in angel networks. Then you look at venture capital firms who are the institutional investors who invest late. Most of the people with any decision-making authority, even now, 10 years later, that are still men. And, you know, (laughs) there was an imbalance in the marketplace. I couldn't work out why there weren't more women doing this. I found this amazing statistic that actually in the UK, women own almost half of the wealth. So the barriers weren't financial for us. And then the flip side of that, and I think they're very related, is that, and it's still staggeringly low today, the number of female-founded businesses getting investment relative to male-founded businesses is abysmally low. I think across Europe, it's 
2% of venture money went to female founded businesses. There's some grey area about mixed gender founding teams, because often businesses have more than one founder. So how do you count the mixed gender ones? But, you know, women are very underrepresented amongst the venture funded startups. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like that you almost sort of came up with this intent or this purpose and then founded Angel Academy. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And purpose is an interesting word, isn't it? You know, I think you definitely need a driving light for your business. I thought that this was just a, you know, an imbalance and I was in a good position to be able to do something about it as well. So the business came from that. But, you know, I've never thought of it in any way as a sort of not-for-profit social impact philanthropic venture. Anyone who's investing in startups, investing their personal money, there's a philanthropic element to it. It's a high-risk asset class. Lots of these businesses fail, but you are ultimately trying to help create the businesses of the future, the ones that will drive um, economic growth and create good quality jobs. So, you know, there is a philanthropic side to it. I've never thought of women as a <laughs> as a problem. Actually, it's a commercial opportunity. They're an underserved market, both female founders and women with a little bit of financial capacity and some, some relevant expertise as investors. Nobody was actually addressing what they might need in the marketplace. So, so you, if I've got it right, you saw this imbalance. It feels like you were energized to do something about it. You could have set up a charity. You could have just started something informal. What led you to create a company? So actually, I did start it fairly informally. I thought, you know, I'm going to get a few people to come and hear some pictures from female founders. So, you know, it very much was a side hustle that I was doing alongside a job at the time. That's kind of how we started. But then I quickly realised that it had to be done a bit more professionally if it was going to work, because it's no good just having a small handful of people because, you know, different people will invest in different types of deals or they might not be available at any one particular time. And you need a wide range of skill sets to do this properly within your network. So I kind of realised that it had to grow. And then that meant that it had to <laughs> wash its face financially if I was going to stop working. I did still need to earn some money in order to be able to continue investing. So the business came about relatively quickly on the basis of having tested it and run it for a while as a side hustle. Sure. Has that sort of purpose, aim, objective, intent, whatever word sort of feels right for you, has that shifted at all in the years you've been doing this? Or has that pretty much been it the whole way? It's been it. It's actually become more urgent. You know, there are way more startups now. So there are way more female founded startups. But, you know, you look at the numbers around who gets investment, it's still not making its way into female founded companies. And that's not because they're not as good, not as ambitious, not as confident, or more risk aware, risk averse, all the cliches that get put around. It's for more structural reasons like that. They don't have the same networks, they might communicate in a different way. There are just significant barriers to women being able to raise capital. You know, it takes them twice as long to get half as much. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And as you've sort of been on this journey, was there a group with you 
sounding board advisors, other people you could kind of kick it around with? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So I think by the time I set up this business, I'd already been in business for quite a long time. I'd been doing a lot of work with startups. So I understood that ecosystem. You know, I had actually a a friend is just about to publish a book about having your own personal advisory board. So I felt I had those people around me, people to test the idea on. I had some people to drag along to the first meetings. I think, you know, when you're a bit older as an entrepreneur, you've got that network of people, haven't you? You've established your credibility. They like you, so they'll turn up for things. And you know, they were into what I was doing. So kind of word spread from there. Right. Just again, so I've kind of got the history right. Founded in 2014, was the network going informally for some years before that? Yeah, probably about a year. I started running events, targeting an investor audience. So it was kind of female angel networking events. And they were quite big events. And somebody at um, Thomson Reuters was very generously lending us space to do this. And, you know, we'd have 80 or 100 people turn up and they were all female, but actually they were all entrepreneurs. They weren't angel investors. So this was my big sort of learning thing. And it just made me realise that, you know, the lack of female investors is that just women didn't know this thing even existed. Nobody had talked to them about it. They were in different networks. So even if they were you know, super smart and working in investment banking or or somewhere in the venture ecosystem. They weren't actually participating as angel investors because they didn't have a group of friends that mentioned it to them. Whereas their male colleagues <laughs> were quite often doing it informally together and chatting about it. But, you know, somehow never the twain did meet. You know, what was great was we identified lots of great female founders. I knew there was critical mass of good female founders out there to be invested in. So managed to prove that argument, but realised we're going to have to create female angel investors. They weren't just going to come bashing down our door because we'd built this network for them. So we needed to understand what it was they needed to make them interested in doing this and what skills might they need to know that were kind of, you know, different from their <laughs> their day jobs to be able to do it. And so kind of very much kind of tried to build a network around people like me and what do we know, what do we need to know and have in order to be confident to do this. Right. And what's kind of the business model? You know, how does all that work? Well, it's a mixed economy. So we have a small team to do it professionally. You know, you have to have some people and resource to organise it. We've got some sponsors. We've got some partners in the business that give us sponsorship money because they support the mission, but also see value in being part of our large and dynamic community. So we've got a legal partner. We've got a tax advisory partner. We've got a talent partner just announced a new investment banking partner. So that's very exciting. Very good. Congratulations. Thank you very much. One of the areas I struggled with when I first started angel investing was actually you're kind of, you get somewhere along the line and then you're plonked down with the shareholders agreement. It's like a 40 page legal document. You know, well, where do I start with that? Who do I go to to ask about that? And, you know, it's equally daunting on the founder side if this is your first fundraise. An old friend at Kingsley Napley, they very quickly agreed to 
not only sponsor us, but host our early events. So, you know, our partners have really been in there (laughs) since the get go and helped us build the ecosystem. We take membership fees. So we have about 100 members at any one time. We have a much larger network of people angels come and go depending on what do they have funds right now what else is going on in their lives and everyone is very busy so this isn't what they're doing all the time and then we also take a small percentage of investment money raised from our network as well so diversified modest revenue streams sure and what would you say the strategy is from here you know, very quickly, people started saying to me, oh, you should raise a fund. What you're doing is great and stuff like that. And I've always pushed back on that because the core mission is about mobilizing more women as angel investors. And the angel investors are making direct investments into businesses. Most of our money gets deployed into funds and it's run by professionals. This is a small amount of our investable assets that goes directly into businesses. And it's having that relationship with entrepreneurs and the stimulation and the fun and everything that that brings. And as soon as you set up a fund, that, of course, is all gone. You do it all. But, you know, everybody else just puts their money in. So I really didn't want to give that up. And then the other aspect of it is that a huge amount of money raised into funds goes into costs. You know, you suddenly have to become a regulated business or partner with a regulated business and the fees mount up. It it just didn't add up to me. We know in our business that 95% of the money invested by our angel investors goes directly into the business. It doesn't get spent on legal fees. There's no carry, there's no catches. So it's deployed where it is intended to go rather than paying for lots of regulatory requirements. So I've always kind of pulled back from funds. And then there are lots of other reasons. I think we've got a lot of small funds in this country, and that's not necessarily helpful if we need funds that can not just write the first check, but then carry on and support companies because the ones that are going to scale really big are going to need multiple rounds of investment. And it's much more helpful if they're not looking for new investors each time, if they can go back to the same company and and that company can support them through their journey. And we've only got a small number of those in, in the UK and indeed in Europe. We've got lots and lots of small funds. And I think current economic climate, there's probably going to be a bit of a a shakeout as well. Yeah. One of the things I like in what you're saying there is it's something certainly I see in my consulting work is the importance of, I'll call it identity, knowing who you are, knowing what you're there for, kind of guiding and shaping. We're not going to get involved in this. We're going to get involved in that. Where, where would you like to see all of this in, you know, sort of five years from now? Well, I always say in interviews, I would love ultimately not to have to talk about gender at all. You know, I'm a startup investor. I'm investing in businesses that I like and I want to see do really well. And not to be talking about gender, but that still does feel some way off. You know, things are improving. You know, when I set up Angel Academy, we were a complete outlier. Everyone said, oh, you're crazy. You know, they weren't even talking about the gender disparity amongst startup teams and things. But, you know, the conversation has changed. You know, a few years in, then people started talking about female founders. And 
then more recently, people have kind of latched on to the lack of female investors as well. So really proud to have been part of that changing the conversation. But we have still got a way to go. There are no silver bullets. There are no easy answers. It's slowly building these businesses that want to tackle this problem. Then, of course, there are other diversity issues. You know, I think we need to focus on women. Women are 50% of the population, but, you know, there are clearly other groups that are underrepresented in founders. And I think, you know, social inequality in this country is something I really care about as well. And it's much less visible and quite often get swept mm-hmm. under the carpet because of that. Yeah. And and have you started to see, I'll call it competition, but I guess you could equally see them as, you know, part of the movement. Are, are you seeing other organizations maybe structured the same way Angel Academy is maybe structured differently, spring up to address this issue of women, angel investors and women-led startups? Yeah, no, no, definitely. There are some others there. I like to think we were the first in, so we're the biggest. We've probably got the strongest reputation. Some uh, have got a similar model. Some have got a different model. They're all trying slightly different things and targeting slightly different people. And, and, you know, actually the female investor bit, I see in the long term. So, you know, 10 years from now, young women are much more engaged with this. You have a lot more women who've actually had jobs in startups and scale-ups and now starting to earn decent amounts of money. Women that have gone into venture capital organisations and they will be coming partners and check writers in the not too distant future. But those are all future pots of capital. Right now, most of the female wealth is with older people who haven't had that startup journey. You know, older women, we have lots of entrepreneurs in our network and none of them raised angel investment for their business. So a lot of them got private equity money or sold to private equity. Maybe some had raised other kinds of institutional capital, but they'd never met an angel investor. Nobody had talked to them about doing it. So it's really important that we kind of educate the people who are my sort of age, because actually they're the women that hold most of the wealth in this country. Most of them have made their own money. You know, it's not inheritance money. So they've made it either by having very successful professional careers working um, for someone else or through building their own businesses and making their money that way. So, you know, a lot to give back to the entrepreneurial community, but nobody's really (laughs) tapped them up to be part of it until more recently. And as you've been on this journey, and it sounds like it's sort of been about 10 years, what surprised you most? What surprised me most is just the calibre of women that we've managed to recruit into the network. And, you know, you, you start speaking to women about it and help them understand. And it's never going to be for everyone, of course. But, you know, these amazing women have stepped forward and said, oh, I want to do this. It sounds really interesting, you know, and they love the idea of supporting other women as well. So that kind of generosity of spirit and time and wanting to help and just these extraordinary women that I would never have met unless I was doing this. So, you know, and then on the founder side, some just unbelievably gritty, resilient women, you know, it is so tough building any business. But as soon as you take investors into your business, it becomes even tougher because you've got a whole bunch of other people and their expectations about 
growing your business quite quickly and their resilience and last few years have been so up and down in so many different ways and the way they've kind of had to chop and change to address the market changes has just been absolutely incredible. Hmm. And what's been the most difficult part? I think when you think about starting a business, you just never realise just quite how tough it's going to be. Everything takes much longer than you expect. It's twice as hard. The toughest bit, because that has involved culture change and really changing the discussion, is kind of around growing the investor community, finding women and creating a network that they wanted to be part of and they felt comfortable investing. That's been the slow bit to build because, you know, we're just very conscious about doing it properly. You know, we're all learning, but we mustn't be doing that at the expense of entrepreneurs. It mustn't take them longer to raise money. You know, so we've been very conscious about how we do it. And Mm. we want to help entrepreneurs, not hinder them by taking up lots of time and then not writing very big checks at the end of it. So we've had to be serious and we've had to kind of set expectations for behavior and things like that. It's important to really approach this professionally. And you have to build trust between your members as well, help them get to know each other and understand who else is in the network and what resources there are. And, you know, that's how good networks work, because there are deep relationships and there's trust between members. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how have you changed throughout the process? What have you learned along the way? God, I've learned so much you know you learn about yourself you learn about what you can do I never thought I'd be doing podcasts and stuff like that I was always very happy to kind of play second fiddle to somebody else who was the sort of much more natural extrovert and I was very happy to be in the background actually that was my career was always sort of bringing groups of people together to do things you know I wasn't a kind of publicity hungry glory seeking but you know now I've got my own thing and I'm galvanized I am having to kind of get out there and lead from the front and actually I found that I can do it and I can do it quite well and I'm reasonably comfortable doing it as well so it is amazing what you discover about yourself. Do you think that some of what you just talked about there might be a factor for some women in either becoming entrepreneurs or becoming angel investors or whatever or is it sort of no it's not a gender issue at all I don't know it's so difficult isn't it because I've met some unbelievably confident women and some very unconfident men so you know we end up generalizing but I do think what I have noticed and what I really value in our group is that, you know, I think women just tend to be more kind of realistic. There's so much hype in startup companies. And once you see it, you spot it everywhere and it becomes a bit tiring. And I think men kind of do that really well. To a certain extent, women have got to play that game. It's kind of expected and you'll be underestimated if you don't play that game. So it's a double-edged sword. But I think, you know, once we've got the trust of founders between ourselves, we can peel that back and have some really honest conversations about the challenges and stuff like that. So that's nice. And I think women are better at that. (laughs) 
and actually, you know, we've got men in our group as well. Sort of my joke is that our diversity target is 30% men. So we've got men in the group and actually they've joined and they've stuck with us because they like the calibre of discussion. They like the way that women work. It's slightly more considered. It's less kind of ego driven. They like the thoroughness. They like the kind of doing it properly. They're as tired as we are of the bro culture, I suppose. Oh, that's very interesting. What advice might you give to someone else who was thinking about pursuing, you know, maybe for a different issue they were trying to address, but, a, you know, going down a similar road to the one you've been on? What advice might you have? Well, I think you've just got to do it, haven't you? You know, if you sit around and wait for the right time, it will never be there. So, you know, loads of things I can say, oh, I wish I'd done this before I started. But actually, you know, <laughs> they'll probably stop you starting. So just do it. But make sure that you've started on the side. You know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Make sure you've got a group of people around you that can support you and believe in what you're doing use those resources that you've already got. Try a few things and you learn, you know, there will always be a bit of trial and error involved. You just don't want to keep making the same mistakes. Very good. What haven't I asked you about that you wish I had? What would you like to touch on that maybe we haven't yet? You know, maybe ending on a high note, you know, women are really good investors. You know, it's said in the public markets that actually often women outperform men because they consider what stock they're buying and then they hold it for a long time. And actually what I've observed in their angel network is that there's quite a lot of thought goes in before making an investment decision. And then they don't expect instant results and money back quickly. And, you know, we stay in touch with the founders. The journey is never smooth and straight to success. There are always bumps along the way. COVID comes along, Brexit, all these things that are quite disruptive in the economy in general. And these women have been prepared to put in a bit more money to support them. And I think that's the trick as an angel investor is to keep supporting the businesses for as long as you can. And that will help your returns. And obviously, it's vitally important for the founders and you know, sends a really positive signal when existing investors follow on. I love ending on a high note. So thank you for that. Uh, and thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. Really appreciate having you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.